episode 22. But if there was hope, it lay in the prose. You had to cling on to that. And when you put it in words, it sounded reasonable. It was when you looked at the human beings passing you on the pavement that it became an act of faith. The street into which he had turned ran downhill, and he had a feeling that he had been in this neighborhood before, and that there was a main thoroughfare not far away. From somewhere ahead, there came a din of shouting voices. Then the street took a sharp turn and ended in a flight of steps, which led down into a sunken alley where a few stall keepers were selling tired-looking vegetables. At this moment, Winston remembered where he was. The alley led out into the main street and down the next turning, not five minutes away, was the junk shop where he had bought the blank book, which was now his diary. And in a small stationer's shop, not far away, he had bought his pen holder and his bottle of ink. He paused for a moment at the top of those steps. On the opposite side of the alley was a dingy little pub whose windows appeared to be frosted over, but in reality were merely coated with dust. A very old man, bent but active, with white mustaches that bristled forward like those of a prawn, pushed open the swing door and went in. As Winston stood watching, it occurred to him that the old man, who must be 80 at least, had already been middle-aged when the revolution happened. He and a few others like him were the last links that now existed with the vanished world of capitalism. In the party itself, there were not many people left whose ideas had been formed before the revolution. The older generation had mostly been wiped out in the great purges of the 50s and 60s, and the few who survived had long ago been terrified into complete intellectual surrender. If there was anyone still alive who could give you a truthful account of conditions in the early part of the century, it could only be a probe. Suddenly, the passage from the history book that he had copied into his diary came back into Winston's mind, and a lunatic impulse took hold of him. He would go into the pub. He would scrape acquaintance with that old man and question him. He would say to him, tell me about your life when you were a boy. What was it like in those days? Were things better than they are now, or were they worse? Hurriedly, lest he should have time to become frightened, he descended the steps and crossed the narrow street. It was madness, of course. As usual, there was no definite rule against talking to proles and frequenting their pubs, but it was far too unusual an action to pass unnoticed. If the patrols appeared, he might plead an attack of faintness, but it was not likely that they would believe him. He pushed open the door, and a hideous, cheesy smell of sour beer hit him in the face. As he entered, the din of voices dropped to about half of its volume. Behind his back, he could feel everyone eyeing his blue overalls. A game of darts, which was going on at the other end of the room, interrupted itself for perhaps as much as 30 seconds. 
The old man whom he had followed was standing at the bar, having some kind of altercation with the barman. A large, stout, hook-nosed young man with enormous forearms. A knot of others standing round with glasses in their hands were watching the scene. I asked you civil enough, didn't I? said the old man, straightening his shoulders pugnaciously. You telling me you ain't got a pint mug in the old bleeding boozer? And what in hell's name is a pint? said the barman, leaning forward with the tips of his fingers on the counter. Hark at him! Calls himself a barman and don't know what a pint is. What a pint? That's at for quart, and there's four quarts to the gallon. Let the teacher the ABC next. Never heard of him, said the barman shortly. Liter and half liter, that's all we serve. There's the glasses on the shelf in front of you. I likes a pint, persisted the old man. You could have dropped me off a pint, easy enough. We didn't have these bleeding liters when I was a young man. When you were a young man, we were all living in the treetop, said the barman, with a glance at the other customers. There was a shout of laughter and the uneasiness caused by Winston's entry seemed to disappear. The old man's white stubbled face had flushed pink. He turned away muttering to himself and bumped into Winston. Winston caught him gently by the arm. May I offer you a drink, he said. You're a gent, said the other, straightening his shoulders again. He appeared not to have noticed Winston's blue overalls. Point, he added aggressively to the barman. Point a wallop. The barman swished two half liters of dark brown beer into thick glasses, which he had rinsed in a bucket under the counter. Beer was the only drink you could get in pro pubs. The pros were supposed not to drink gin, though in practice they could get hold of it easily enough. The game of darts was in full swing again, and the knot of men at the bar had begun talking about lottery tickets. Winston's presence was forgotten for a moment. There was a deal table under the window where he and the old man could talk without fear of being overheard. It was horribly dangerous, but at any rate, there was no telescreen in the room, a point he had made sure of as soon as he came in. He could have drawn me off a pint, grumbled the old man as he settled down behind a glass. Half leader ain't enough, it don't satisfy, and a whole leader's too much stops my bladder running, let alone the prize. You must have seen great changes since you were a young man, said Winston tentatively. The old man's pale blue eyes moved from the darts board to the bar, and from the bar to the door of the gents, as though it were in the bar room that he expected the changes to have occurred. The beer was better, he said finally, and cheaper. When I was a young man, Mild beer, wallop, we used to call it, was fourpence a pint. That was before the war, of course. Which war was that, said Winston. It's all wars, said the old man vaguely. He took up his glass and his shoulders straightened again. Here's wishing you the very best of health. In his lean throat, the sharp-pointed Adam's apple made a surprisingly rapid up-and-down movement and the beer vanished. Winston went to the bar and came back with two more half-liters. The old man appeared to have forgotten his prejudice against drinking a full liter. You are very much older than I am, said Winston. 
You must have been a grown man before I was born. You can remember what it was like in the old days before the revolution. People my age don't really know anything about those times. We can only read about them in books and, and what it says in the books may not be true. I should like your opinion on that. The history books say that life before the revolution was completely different than it is now. There was the most terrible oppression, injustice, poverty, worse than anything we can imagine. Here in London, the great mass of people never had enough to eat from birth to death. Half of them hadn't even boots on their feet. They worked 12 hours a day, they left school at nine, they slept 10 in a room, and at the same time, there were a very few people, only a few thousands, the capitalists, they were called, who were rich and powerful. They owned everything that there was to own. They lived in great, gorgeous houses with 30 servants. They rode about in motor cars and four-horse carriages. They drank champagne. They wore top hats. The old man brightened suddenly. Top hats, he said. Funny you should mention him. The same thing come into my head only yesterday. I don't know why. I was just thinking, I ain't seen a top hat in years. Gone right out there. The last time I wore one was at my sister-in-law's funeral. And that was, well, I, I couldn't give you the date, but must have been 50 years ago. Of course, it was only I for the occasion, you understand. It isn't very important about the top hats, said Winston patiently. The point is, these capitalists, they and a few lawyers and priests and so forth who lived on them were the lords of the earth. Everything existed for their benefit. You, the ordinary people, the workers, were their slaves. They could do what they liked with you. They could ship you off to Canada like cattle. They could sleep with your daughters if they chose. They could order you to be flogged with something called a, a cat of nine tails. You had to take your cap off when you passed them. Every capitalist went about with a gang of lackeys who, the old man brightened again. Lackeys, he said. Now there's a word I ain't heard since ever so long. Lackeys. <laughs> oh, that regularly takes me back, that does. I recollect uh, donkeys years ago. I used to sometimes go to Hyde Park of a Sunday afternoon to hear the blokes making speeches. Salvation Army, Roman Catholics, Jews, Indians, all sorts there was. And there was one bloke, well, I, I couldn't give you his name, but a real powerful speaker he was. He didn't have given him. Lackeys, he says. Lackeys of the bourgeoisie. Flunkies of the ruling class. Parasites, that was another of them. And hyenas, <laughs> he definitely called them hyenas. Of course, he was referring to the Labour Party, you understand. 